0: Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com.
1: We're going to get into the Word today, and uh, I have a long passage that I want us to read. It comes out of John 4, um, the woman at the well. And I know you guys hear enough of my voice, so I'm having a friend join me. This is Amanda. And Amanda, Amanda's gonna read. Amanda's gonna read this uh, this passage over us today.
0: Okay. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, But you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is, that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of well, welling up with eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't thirst I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. But I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
1: Amen. Thank you, Amanda. I'm going to say a prayer. Father, thank you for this word. We just pray now that as we lean into it, that, Father, you would uh, teach us what you want to do today. Invite. We just invite you to work in our hearts today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. When I was a kid, uh, I played Little League baseball. And the ritual at the end of every game was that uh, it was the same. There was some parents that did us a little dirty and some parents were very cool. And what I mean by this is some parents would bring a nice chest full of Capri Suns. That's doing us dirty. That's not cool. I mean, they get the job done, but they don't hit like some things hit on a hot summer day. And so some parents, they were the cool parents. They would bring an ice chest full of Shastas.
0: Uh,
1: shastas, right? Nothing hit like a black cherry Shasta. How many of you guys have ever had Shasta? How many of you guys don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, Shasta, man. Shasta's 14 cents a can. You know, it's. Pineapple upside down cake, tiki punch, I mean, whatever you want, apple, you know what I'm saying? Like, but there was, there was, it was, it's amazing what they have. And then, of course, there's, there's, there's my favorite, you know, there's my favorite, we have Dr. Shasta, not to be confused with Dr. Thunder, and uh, (laughs) when it was, uh, when it was the 1980s, people had yet to discover that drinking soda was apparently the worst thing ever for your human body. At least that's the word on the street these days. Everybody's like, soda, that's terrible. It's like, it's our dirty little secret. We're like, I still drink soda, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I saw a study, no joke, there are more people that believe drinking vodka is healthier for you than soda. But I'm telling you, in case you're wondering there's an argument for that right now, there's not an argument for that. A big gulp of vodka is not better. I'm just saying it's not. So parents today, they don't bring the soda after the game. They bring like I don't know, it's like organic, non-GMO room temperature water or something like that. That's what they bring. But back then, um, parents didn't care. I mean, I could slam three Shastas in a, in a night and my mom would hand me a fourth. She'd be like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> now, here's the, <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing about sodas, though, like the, the dirty little secret that soda companies don't want you to know about. Here's the thing. We, we all, in part, we drink our Shastas or our Cokes or our uh, Sprite to quench a thirst, right? I mean, that's the ad campaign. Sprite says obey your thirst, right? I mean, Coke's like, their ads are like, listen, if you drink Coke, your life is going to be better. You're going to be satisfied. It is the joy of your life to drink Coke, enjoy a Coke, right? And um, here's the thing, though. Scientifically, there's something that happens when you drink soda. Science says that ingesting a fluid generates the illusion that in your body you believe that you're, you're quenching a thirst, but however beverages that are full of, caffeine, sodium, and sugar, they actually serve to further dehydrate you. Um, a lot of you probably know that. And, and I think I understand with what science says. But, but heres if I'm in a desert and I don't have any water, but I got me a, a Shasta, I'm drinking the Shasta, and I think I'm going to live a little longer. But nonetheless, science, I believe you. I believe you that it's not what the wa- it's it's not the water that my body really needs, right? I get that. So here, here's how we can say it. Here's what we can say. Some things advertise to satisfy our thirst, but all they really are is a trap, right? I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of things like this in life. Things that advertise that they will satisfy us, but at the end, they really really don't. And so, in in if we go back to this woman at the well story in John 4, there's a lot of things Jesus is doing in this story. We're not going to be able to cover all of them, but one of the things that's really clear is that he is shedding light on something in this woman's life. He is shedding light on the fact that she is very thirsty. And when, when I say that, it's like, well, obviously she's coming to a well, she's got a bucket, but it's not a, that kind of thirst, right? It's a different kind of deeper kind of thirst that Jesus begins to shed light on in her life. And in fact, I'm just going to review a couple parts. Verse 13, it says this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone say thirsty again. again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Everyone say never thirst. thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And have to keep coming to draw water. So this brings us to a kind of an interesting theological consideration. Once we have Jesus, are we never to thirst again, or are we supposed to say thirsty? And and it's, it's interesting because Jesus, of course, says you're never gonna thirst, but we know there's other verses, there's other scriptures, we sing songs, we just sang songs that are like, Lord, I'm thirsty. But he says, but if you drink my water, you're never gonna thirst. So what is it? What is it? Theologically, of course, Jesus is speaking to something that is a bit of a paradox, right? There is a paradox inside of this that he's not just speaking, of course, to our thirst for God. He's saying, listen, when you have, when you have me, you're not going to thirst for anything else. But there is a paradox inside of this because inside this passage, we really do truly experience the paradox of Jesus. That we are spiritually full, yet we can remain spiritually hungry. Now, How do both exist? It's, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Most of us know what a paradox is, but it's not to be confused with an oxymoron, Right. Oxymorons are a combination of two words that contradict each other that kind of create an interesting kind of use of words like jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron, right? Bittersweet, pretty ugly. My personal fave, United Methodist. Or as a joke, as a joke. I am not Methodist, but I know some. So it's a joke. But even better than that, probably the the most accurate oxymoron I've thought of and come across is country music. But it's just, you know. (laughs) So I'm just saying, like, yeah, so that's an oxymoron, but a paradox is a bit more involved and complex because it makes you engage your mind. It might be similar, like less is more. It has sort of an oxymoron feel, but it's actually, it's a deeper thought. Like, how can less actually equal more? So it's a paradox because it, makes, it engages your mind to consider philosophy underneath that. And there's a philosophy inside of that. Like somehow, in some way, oftentimes, less is more. How many of you guys agree? Right? So I've always been enamored by the paradox of Jesus because this is him and his life. He says this over and over again. Think about all the th- th- ways we see two patterns alive with Jesus that seem impossible to really reconcile. For example, he said things like, if you want to live, you're going to have to die. If he says, if you want to become the greatest, you've got to become the least. He said, you know, if you want to ascend, you got to descend. If you want, if you want to be, if you want to be uh, first, you're going to have to be last. So he says these things over and over again, and these are all paradoxical thoughts because there is a, there's, a, there's a thought he wants to engage us in. And in John 4, he says, drink my living water, and you'll never be thirsty again. But then over in Matthew, of course, in other passages, he says, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they, those are the blessed ones. So which one is it? You never thirst, or you're always thirsty? Today's message is called um, Never and Always Thirsty. Are you all with me? It's the paradox of Jesus. I am fully satisfied, right? I am fully satisfied, fulfilled, and content, yet I long for more. I, 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 I seek him daily, and I have a holy discontent that, that is actually what fulfills and, and, and gives me and fuels my destiny and purpose. Jesus will satisfy your thirst, yet when you taste and see, you will never have enough to quench that thirst for more of Jesus. And so it is this paradox of Jesus, he is a well on a well, he, he becomes less so he can be more, he is the greatest, who became the least, are you all with me? So in this powerful encounter, Jesus is a well sitting on a well. He is a well himself. And he says to this woman in verse 23, he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in the truth. So God the Father will seek the kind of worshipers who worship in spirit and in the truth. What does that mean? It's a really nice thing to say. What does it mean? Well, when he says in the spirit, we just gotta first acknowledge there is a prophetic. Peace to that. That we will worship in the Holy Spirit, which is something that a lot of us as believers we really enjoy. That 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 we can invite the Holy Spirit to come, and He comes, and and thank the Lord we get to worship, in the context of being in His presence, right? But it also means that there is something going on whenever it believes that when we say we're worshiping in the Spirit, that we're also saying we're worshiping with our whole heart. We're worshiping even in the essence of our spirit, if you will, that we're worshiping not just. With our hearts, but then when he says the truth, we're worshiping with our minds. We're worshiping with our whole belief, full of faith, right? Full of God's revealed word that we believe the truth. So we're worshiping with our heart and with our minds. And this, again, believe it or not, can feel a bit like a paradox. Because often in the church world, what do we do? We treat these things sort of differently. We actually kind of act, can pit thing, these things against one another, we can prioritize one over the other. We do this more than we would like to admit. I'll show you what I mean, next slide. Sometimes we put spirit on one side and truth on the other, and they sort of do a a pull, a tug of war between each other, don't they? And what I mean by that is, have you ever found any in the church who believe that too much spirit, too much emotion, too much heart can be dangerous? Because what should drive our faith is not those things, but our theology and our beliefs. That's what should drive our faith. But then there's some people who think, man, it's not all about the truth. Like, we should have more heart in this church. We should have more emotion. We should be passionate for Jesus. We don't have enough of an emotive faith in in the church. So I just want to just make some things clear. Listen, to experience worship without emotion, it's not a biblical or theological uh, concept. It doesn't exist. We have to bring all of our emotion and our heart into worship. But it also can't bring can't be bring bring no theology into it, right? We have to bring all of our theology and all of our beliefs in for uh, into this as well. For example, we don't want songs that are written out of solely emotion. We want songs that are written with a theology and an understanding of who God is and who we are that tap into our deep emotions, right? So I know this makes sense. But the typical posture in worshiping in spirit and truth is as people, we lean one way or the other. We do. And we prioritize one over the other. So we can say it this way. God is not seeking worshipers who are all heart, but they're shaky in their theological foundation. Because what happens in that is the next time you read a well-written blog post debunking 2,000 years of orthodox Historical theology, you'll think, man, they have a great point. And you'll become shaky in your theology. God is also not seeking worshipers who hang their hat on beliefs and theology and show little to no emotion when they're in that opportunity to, to express worship and praise. As humans, we are hardwired to worship. I said that a few weeks ago. We're hardwired to worship. And, and we're, we're supposed to worship God with all of our emotion. And if you don't put your emotion into worshiping the Father, guess what? You're going to put your emotion into something. You're going to put your worship and your emotion into sports or to your work or to a relationship. Emotions are going to go somewhere. So we aren't talking about an either or, or scenario. We aren't talking about priority one or two. Rather, it's the fullness of both that God seeks his worshipers to be. Here, I'll show you this with like a simple graphic. We take this and we can kind of take the next step. Like, how do we actually focus and prioritize both? This little simple two-by-two two grid will show us, uh, if you think about focus and priority being up and to the right. So if it's to the right, we're focusing more on spirit. If it's to the left, we're focusing less, focusing less on the spirit, of course, up, down. So if what happens when we focus on one versus the other? Let's just kind of play this out. Let's go over here. If, if, if you're over here and you emphasize truth, but you are low in the spirit, what builds is a legalistic sort of framework of worship and lifestyle. And maybe you've experienced that yourself where you see people that they, they grow cold in their worship and they become very dogmatic in their beliefs. And what happens is their heart becomes hardened, but yet God wants us to have soft hearts. So, so that's what happens here. Let's go over here. Let's say we have a lot of spirit, but very little focus on the truth. And what happens is there becomes an indulgent style of worship and a, and a lifestyle of indulgence in which what we do is we seek experience and we love the mountaintop, but we don't know how to walk through the valley. Because we don't have a theology driving us to understand that God is in both. And so what happens is we become susceptible to sin because sin will come in and grab a hold of us when we are only looking to worship in spirit with no truth. So, so what about over here? Let's go down to the bottom over here. If we have neither, guess what happens to the person? We start seeking for, we start seeking for something to worship, and, and, and it's not spirit and truth. Well, idolatry comes up. When we start to worship other things, we start to go to the wrong well. We're no longer going to the well that's of living water. We're going to different wells. So what happens when we go up and to the right when spirit and truth and the two arms of spirit and truth are lifted up? It's this is what I didn't come up with, this is what the Bible says. God, He is seeking people of true worship, people who know how to do both. People who are like, I am not going to just sit in my experiences, but I'm also not just going to sit in my beliefs. I'm going to lift both of them up to be a demonstration of the world of God's power and his love in me and through me. That's why I worship. True worship is always, it always has a hunger and a thirst for more of his spirit and more of his truth. Hunger and thirst are the true marks of his church. They're true marks of his people and a person that is on fire for him. It's just, this is. God wants people who want to be with him and who want to be like him. If you want to know what sparks renewals and revivals, it's very simple. Do you want to know what it is? It's a hunger and a thirst for the presence of God. That's it. That's where he falls. That's where he comes. It's God's presence falling on a people who are hungry and thirsty. And we can't manufacture that we can't fake that, which a lot of places and a lot of people do. We try and fake that. We can't wish that. We can't do a drive-by version of that where we just drop into church here and there or we just read the Bible occasionally or we turn on some Mav City here and there. Like, that's not going to do it. God wants people who want to be with him. It's hunger and thirst for more of his truth and more of his spirit. It's an intellectual journey as well as an emotional one. It's one of heart and mind. It's a type of hunger that taps into the mind, the body, the heart, and the soul. So let's go back to John 4. Because they are like, okay, did Jesus say all that? He did. He just said it a lot better and quicker than me. John 4, verse 15, though. So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husbands, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you, you have had five husbands, and, and the man you now have is not your husband. And she said, what you have said is quite true. What is Jesus doing here, right? Like, in some ways, this feels like, man, is this harsh? How she's going to take this? He says to this woman, I see you, and I see that you are actually very thirsty. I know how hard you've been trying to find satisfaction in your life. You've been trying to satisfy it with really something that is you're going to the wrong well. You're actually the well that you're going to, it will end up dehydrating you. You've been trying to fill your life with husbands and men and relationships, and those things will never satisfy like I satisfy. You see... Jesus brings this up, and the the string of men in her life, he doesn't bring them up to reveal her sin. He brings them up to reveal her thirst. She is a woman who is thirsty and who is longing for a deep connection. In fact, this story in her life up to this point, man, it has made her an outcast of her community. Having five husbands, living with a man who is not your husband, would have been a shameful life in her day. In fact, she's coming to draw water during a time when no other, no other people are there. It was pretty typical in this time that women would come. This was a, a, a task of a woman. It was a domestic task to go and draw water from the well. They would do it in the morning. They would do it in the evening. They would avoid the heat of the day. She's coming in the middle of the day when it's very hot. She's all by herself, and she's coming because she's not welcome at the other times. She's not welcome. She's an outcast. So she's not welcome. And here we have this moment when Jesus is demonstrating something different. He is actually showing her not only inclusion, but he's saying, you're welcome in this moment with me. I see you. And this is, this is, a, this is actually a pretty stunning encounter because Jesus was breaking barriers of all types in this encounter. This is a culture bound by rules that were forbid a barren woman talking to a Jewish man, much less her stature and lifestyle talking to a rabbi. Like this is un- un- unseen, unthinkable. But Jesus is removing gender inequity. He's breaking past barriers of racism, religious uh, barriers of, 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 of hostility. He's breaking past barriers of class. And Jesus did all of this to let her know one thing. You're drawn from the wrong well. And by the way, we do this too, right? We try and draw water from the wrong well all the time. And if you're thinking, no, I don't, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Yes, we all do. Think about it. What are the modern day wells that we try and draw from? I mean, the list is endless. I mean, maybe it's a a job. You finally get the job you want. You got the desk you want. You got the salary you want. And it's not too long before that you go, man, this wasn't really all I thought it would be. And so you go back to that well and think, maybe I need a different job. I'm gonna go try and draw water from that well and satisfy me. And once again, what does it do? It just makes you more thirsty. Dehydrates you. Or maybe you're like, I always need to be in a dating relationship because if I'm not, I'm afraid. i I fear loneliness, so I, I gotta have. And you keep, you keep going to the wrong well, and you keep getting in the wrong relationships. Ones that God doesn't want for you, but you're willing to put up with them because you think it will satisfy, but it won't. Or maybe, or maybe, perhaps it's. Perhaps it's finding satisfaction in material things or money or, or, sati- or, or success or whatever it may be, or s- seeming important. A lot of us want to feel important in our life, and we keep going to the wrong well. Yeah. And because there are so many modern-day wells that people are trying to draw from, and those of us as believers or the church in general, we start to realize, like, man, everybody's going to the wrong place. It's, you, need, you just need Jesus, right? So this is what we say. We're like, Jesus is everything. Jesus is all you need. Jesus, Jesus, you're number one. And you know we start doing that, you know. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 I, I hear you. I know you like Jesus and you think he can satisfy everything you need. But I don't know. I know a lot of Christians and it doesn't feel that way. Have you seen all the Christians are hypocrites, just Christians, the church, and they just hurt people. This is, what they, this is, the, this is the skeptic, right? But as John Tyson writes, he writes it this way. He says, uh, it's not the church who will meet the deepest longings of your heart. Because the church is full of people. But Jesus is who will meet the deepest longings of your heart. So it's not the church. And I love the church. God loves the church. God created the church. God made the church his plan. But guess what? The church will never satisfy. Even the church itself is the wrong well. It's only one well. And it's Jesus. It's the well on the well. Jesus confronts the false well in her life. By the way, this confrontation isn't to bury her in her shame. It's to set her free. God's truth is never for the purpose of shame. Truth may convict us, but truth is only for our benefit and for our good. By the way, it's important to note when Jesus gave the truth. He did it after the invitation to drink. We love to give truth and let people just have to deal with the truth. How about we invite them to drink the living water? And then guess what? I bet Jesus come along and confront the false wells in their life. Remember, he says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The truth will set you free. By the way, that's not a cliche if you're new to church. That's in the Bible. That's where that came from. John 8.32, Jesus is the one who said it. He he needs to get more credit for all the sayings we have in our life. Such as this one, he says, the truth will set you free. So I want to ask you a question. about to start closing up here. But what is the false well Jesus would confront in your life? What is the false well that Jesus would confront in your life? Because some of us need to be confronted not to shame us, but to set us free. And it's not even me confronting today. It's not the church confronting. It might be literally Jesus, the Holy Spirit right now, speaking to your heart, wanting to confront things in your life in order to set you free. And today, maybe you need to confess it. Maybe today you need to say, I'm done with that. I'm not going to keep going back to that well. I'm, I'm getting over it because all it's doing is it's making me thirstier. It's dehydrating me. It's sucking the life out of me. And I don't know why I keep going back to the wrong well, but I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to give that up. So maybe that's what we need to do. It could be it could be a super clear thing for you today. It could be something that you like, I know what that well is, but there's a lot of us that's a gray zone. We're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to the wrong well, but I feel like there's something. And so what's connecting in your heart today is this. What's connecting is Maybe God is calling you, inviting you to a different source of your satisfaction, your purpose, your fulfillment, your joy. But I just know that in order to just say, we can't just say, Jesus, I want that living water. He will confront the false well in your life. We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with it. We have to be like, all right, this isn't just happy thrills and chills. Guess what that is? All spirit, no truth. This isn't just, oh, you're wrong. You need to get your job. Nope, nope, nope. It's like heart, mind, soul. Jesus confronts the things that, that say you are looking to satisfy elsewhere. And he says, but I will give you something better. Something that you will say, I will never thirst again. He's given me all I need, but I've tasted something that I can't get enough, so I am never and I am always thirsty. This past Monday, at Monday Night Prayer and Worship, I I, uh, I had a friend who asked for prayer for healing, and as we were praying, as we were praying, I just asked her, I said, do you feel like the Lord is doing anything, saying anything to you? And she said, as we prayed, I feel like, I feel like for the first time, I actually believe God can do this she had reasons for why she had been lacking maybe that beliefs guilt um, self doubt she had all the heart there by the way she had all the feels there but she needed belief she needed truth she needed to believe in God's promise and what God says about her right by the way God hasn't healed her yet but I believe he will but he's working in her, and he's building a worshiper of spirit and truth. Believing in God's word. And a number of years ago, I, uh, our family, we went on vacation and we showed up at the hotel and right by the check-in desk, there was this really amazing, beautiful pool right there. And Grayson was probably three or four years old and he was begging to get in that pool as soon as we got there. He's like, I want to jump in. I want to jump in. And we're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, just a second. We had, we were at like this resort, so there's like this check-in process, and he just kept begging and begging. Can we get? I want to go swimming. You know, you know how it is. And I was like, Bro, we gotta wait. You gotta wait. So finally, we let him and his sister go out and just stand by the pool. You know what I mean? You can look at the water. And, and he's like, yelling. We're at the. He's yelling. Can I go swimming? Can I go swimming? I want to go. I want to go. I want to jump in. And, And we're like, Buddy, you gotta wait. And that little moment is the other side of worship. That should be our hearts, that there is so much anticipation and hope and desire to jump in that you almost, we can't contain it. That's the emotive side, right? But what we do instead is often we do what Christy and I did in that moment when we're like, hey, we got to check in first and we're going to go upstairs. We're going to take all our luggage up there. We're going to unpack a little bit. We're going to get the right clothes on. We're going to sunscreen you up, probably get a little snack, you know, do everything we need to do. Then after everything is taken care of first, then we'll go. And jump in that water we do everything else can I just say this and will you catch this like everything's a metaphor I get it but we do everything else before we jump in we were looking at his excitement and his desire to jump in and we are trying to control it and pull it back and say hey man just put it in. we want you to just you know play with the lines here we need to check all our boxes first I kid you not, the next thing we know, we're still at the check-in desk, he's in the pool. Fully clothed, shoes on, socks on. It's a kiddie pool, by the way, so he's not drowning. He's just, he couldn't take it. He couldn't take the rules. He couldn't take the waiting. He couldn't take the no. He's like, listen, I know what I want and I know where I wanna be. And some of you, you need to just submit, you just need to surrender to that. I know what I want and I know what I want and I know where I wanna be. I want to be with Jesus. Jesus wants people who want to be with him. Yet we are so afraid to jump in. We're like, I got to take care of all this other stuff first. And by the way, I'm so glad he jumped in the pool. It's an amazing moment as a parent. And we need more of that in our life. We need more emotion and more passion and more excitement and more fire. And I know I'm just talking about a kid jumping in a pool, but I I am talking about the sort of excitement and anticipation that God has more for us. story with the woman at the well. I want to go back to it. We'll end with this. It ends with her going back to her town, by the way. We didn't read this part earlier, but I want to read it now. Verse 28. It says this, then leaving her water jar. She's so excited she forgot why she came. I love that. She didn't even, she came with one thought in mind and she left with another. How many know that we need that in life? We have our plans. He has his plans. We come one way, we leave another. She leaves, forgot why she even came. And then she says this, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. How many of you know that's the first time that's ever been said in a positive way? Like that's not, hey, come see the guy who told me about all my sin, you're gonna love him. He's gonna change your life. And then she says, could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Now, I just want you to just imagine this moment. This woman, she was a woman that was full of shame. She was unwelcome in her town and immediately she reversed course and what was her shame became her story. What was her shame became her miracle. What was her shame became her testimony. She was no longer ashamed anymore. She was trying to tell people, listen, I, I have something that has happened in me, and you need to know all about it. Some of you know this testimony. Some of you have had this testimony, and you're like, you don't understand, like, who I was. If I told everybody, like, I now get to stand on that mountain. Like, God will use your story. God will use your story for his glory. There's a passage in Isaiah 61. Jesus, it's a prophetic word about Jesus, and he says, listen. That the Lord will plant you, plant your life like an oak tree is planted. And you will be a, a mighty oak tree planted for the display of his splendor, like his glory. And I love that picture. I'm just like, man, God, just start planting oak trees all over the city. Use our story to, be, to, to bring shade for this community, to be, a, to, to be a display of your splendor and your glory. God seeks true worshipers. Jesus confronts our false wells. He says they're never going to satisfy. And Jesus invites us to living water, the paradoxical water that fully satisfies yet leaves us wanting more. Praise God for that. Amen. I want to pray for us. We're going to worship. Would you stand as we pray? God desires true worship. Lord, we just pray right now that we will become worshipers of spirit and truth. We, we invite you to confront the false wells in our life. And, and Lord, we, we, we just want to express our gratitude to you. You know, as we worship today, this altar's open. Our prayer team is here. They love nothing more than to pray with you today. Maybe it's time to confront something today. And you just need to give it to the Lord. Come to the altar. Just come and pray with someone. Pray on your own. But I want to give this invitation. I just want to be able to say to you, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, maybe it is now is the time to jump in. You don't have to keep saying, I'll get to it. I got to take care of this first. It is time to jump in. God is doing that right now. There's salvation springing up like, like a well right now in this, in this community. Come and pray with someone about it. Just say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus today. It's a simple prayer. We say it all the time. We just lead people to say, Jesus, I give you my life. But it's a truly a surrender To say, I believe you are who you said you are, and I'm surrendering my life to you. If you want to do that today, you can come and you can pray with someone and give your life to Jesus. So, Father, we just give you this time. We worship you in spirit and in truth.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.